Before we jump into things today, I got a, a couple things I want to go over with you really quick. Uh, the first is, in a couple of weeks, we're going to be starting a new series uh, called This Is Us, and uh, we're going to be looking at the fruit of the Spirit all the way through the summer. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. The reason we're looking at that, and I know I'm fairly new with you, is, you know, somebody came up to me or somebody came up to you and said, you know, what is our church all about? Tell me about real life. We can point to those things and say, this is us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. This is us. So I had an idea, and thankfully last week you guys, you guys hit a home run. So my idea was I thought it would be really cool to get headshots of as many people as possible in the church to be able to create kind of a, a mosaic and then overlay saying, this is us. And uh, sometimes my ideas don't go very far, uh, but uh, it did last week. So we got a ton of pictures, but we didn't get everybody. So what that means is you got a week's notice, you get all dolled up, you can kind of get your hair did and all that kind of stuff. And, and uh, you can be ready for a picture today. But after the service today, there's a couple spots in the foyer where there's a black background. Uh, there's gonna be people out there taking pictures. If you do that, that'd be fantastic. It's going to be a, a neat uh, way just to communicate, again, that this is us. So I want to encourage you to, to take advantage of that. The other thing, and you're going to see a slide here on the screen, this Thursday is the National Day of Prayer. And uh, I want to encourage you, no matter what you do, to take some time to really focus on praying for our nation, uh, praying for our churches, praying for our schools, praying for our public servants, uh, anybody and everybody in regards to our nation, our government, uh, all elected officials. I want to encourage you to take advantage of that day to really lift up your voice to God on, on behalf of all those institutions and people. At the same time, at 6 o'clock at Founders Square, is that what it's called? Yes, Founders Square, uh, there's going to be a, a bunch of people from different churches there. I'm leading a different prayer uh, that night. Uh, so I just want to encourage you, it's going to be a really unique evening to come together and just uh, pray and uh, lift our voices to God on behalf of our nation. And, uh, and everything that it entails. We need to pray. We need to pray. And God hears our prayers, so all God's people said, amen, amen. So that being said, we've been doing something kind of different in this series that we're in right now, and so I'm not going to ask you to stand. I'll be a, the nice guy today. But uh, I am going to ask you, if you would, to recite the Lord's Prayer with me. You're going to see the words on the screen. Would you recite this with me? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. I do want to start a little differently today. Uh, I want to talk to you about what I would call... Uh, the drift, the drift. It has to do with something called the law. Now, the dictionary defines the law as a system of rules and regulations. You know what? I'm seeing somebody, and I need to say something first. Does everybody know who Eric Ringer is? Eric, raise your hand back there in the back. Just yesterday, Eric went, did like the grand tour of Chicago and rucked. Does everybody know what rucking is? You wear a big old bag with weights in it and stuff. 26.2 miles, and now did we say there's about 25 kids in the world today that have water for life uh, because of what Eric did yesterday. So would you thank him? Good. 
Amen. So there is that global 6K that's coming up here in a couple weeks that evidently I'm doing too. I am doing a lot of this stuff. Um, but uh, we're going to make it. But uh, be watching for all the details on that as well and jump in. All right, back, back to what we're doing here. So the dictionary defines law as a system of rules that regulates actions and behaviors. Pretty simple, right? I mean, that's, that's pretty self-explanatory. Here's the things you should do. Here's the things you shouldn't. That's the law. We obey the law. You don't do those things. You're a law breaker. That's kind of what we understand. Pretty understandable. So here's what we're going to do today. We're going to divide this room into two. And uh, we're going to go right down the middle. We got this side on my left, this side on my right. If you're up in the sound booth up there, Lisa, you're on my left. Tom, you're on my right. If you're online, pick a side. Pick a side. All right. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about the speed limit. You're already nervous. Okay. So let's say that you're driving down the road and there's a sign and the speed limit is 45 miles an hour. 45 miles an hour. If you break the speed limit, you are not, not being a law-abiding citizen. Agreed? I mean, it's the law, right? 45 miles an hour, if you break the speed limit, you're not being a law-abiding citizen. Now, generally speaking, there are two kinds of people when it comes to the law, when it comes to the law, and this is where the drift comes in. So we're going to talk about you people first. Are you ready? The law says 45, but you people notice that there's some people going 50 that don't get pulled over. And so you realize that if you drive 50, you don't get pulled over. All right? So in your mind now, 45 is negotiable. It's now negotiable. And don't, don't try to hide. Listen, I've lived here long enough. I know some police officers by now. Not because I got pulled over, but I know some police officers. Admit it. You move the boundary sometimes to where you want it to be. That's how we operate. Okay? Not only that, sometimes maybe we get a little indignant when somebody calls us out. I mean, it's only five miles an hour. Seriously? Plus, you've driven for years, you, got, you have a right, everyone knows 45 miles an hour is like a guideline, right? Please. Okay. But you know, you know what happens next. 50 is not going to be fast enough. And you know some people that have been going 60, and they've not been getting pulled over. Okay. Can you believe these people over here? All right. Yeah, shame. Did you hear that? Shame on them. I didn't say that. They did. So speaking of these people, you people over here throwing shade on these people over here, all high and mighty, you never go over 45. Ever. In fact, the insurance company last month contacted you. They sent you a sticker to put in your car window because they're rewarding you for your safe driving record and lowering your rates. Do you know how we know that? You drive so slow, we can read the sticker. That's how we know this. That's you. You're the law-abiding citizens. Okay? In fact, you're convinced that if the police actually did pull you over, the reason that they would pull you over so that they can pull out their phone and take a selfie with you and hashtag it blessed driver. Okay? So that, that's you. 
that's you now, but watch this. Just obeying the speed limit, that's not going to be enough. That's not going to be enough for you. Before long, your drift, you drift so far that you start taking it upon yourself to police these people. These people over here, these lawbreakers. So these lawbreakers have a word for you. Okay, that's not nice, so get it out of your head. All right. Now, all kidding aside, both groups have something in common. Have something in common. The law is not kept so you can say you kept it, and the law is not negotiated to move where you want it to be. So both groups have drifted. Both groups have drifted away from the purpose of the law to begin with, which is life. Life. So, so far in our series, uh, we've been looking at what it means for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we've been taking our cues from Jesus, from the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, the question really is, what kind of a person, what kind of a people does God use to see his kingdom come on earth in the region as it is in heaven? So today takes a little bit of a turn. And what I want to do is I want to read for you a section of scripture. It's not going to be on the screen. It's Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 30. Now, really this goes all the way through the end of chapter 5, but we're going to stop at verse 30 because we'll, we'll talk about that. But let me read this for you. Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 30. This is Jesus speaking. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Then he begins to go into these examples. Verse 21, anger. You've heard that it was said that to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. Whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Yikes, Jesus. Okay. So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift right there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge, the judge to the guard, and you be put in prison. Truly, I say to you, you will never get out until you've paid the last penny. And he talks about this next one, lust. You've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out, throw it away, for it's better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off, throw it away, for it's better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. And he goes on and on and on through the rest of chapter 5 with different examples. He talks about divorce. He talks about oaths. He talks about retaliating to those who do evil to you. He talks about loving your enemies. He talks about all these different things. Now, 
He covers all of these topics, but he's doing something very, very, yes, he's speaking to those topics specifically, but he's also doing something else very specifically. He's pulling people back off of the drift. He's pulling people off of the drift that they naturally go down when it comes to the law. He announces it right at the beginning in the verse, first verse. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or prophets. I've not come to abolish it. I'm here to fulfill it. I'm here to fulfill it. So if I can summarize what he's saying there, he's saying, look, I've come to show you the heart of the intent of the law. And I'm going to live it right in front of you. It's going to be real. Now, people that God uses to see his will done on earth as it is in heaven, very briefly, number one, are people who do not redefine the law to meet their standard. We don't redefine the law. Um, I chose speeding earlier for a reason, <laughs> because I think we can all relate to it. If you can't, I, I mean, let's be honest, all right? But I think we can all relate to speeding. It's easy to justify speeding sometimes. You're late, maybe your record is clean and you've never had an accident, so you kind of think, hey, I must be pretty good at this thing. Uh, maybe uh, you aced your test. Most of the justifications that we make for our actions and our behaviors, whether they're just even our spiritual actions and decisions, they're as varied as the people that make the justifications. So we have all kinds of reasons to justify all kinds of different things. And in the book of Judges, there's a pretty stern warning about that. In the book of Judges, the scripture says this, everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes. And if you read the book of Judges, that's not a good thing, okay? Uh, everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes. That sounds like chaos to me. Chaos. And in our world today, the world that we live in, I think this is particularly challenging. And as real lifers, we are trying to become kingdom citizens, people through whom God's will might be done on earth in the region as it is in heaven, in a world where everyone gets offended by everything. Okay. In fact, maybe some of you just got offended because I said people get offended by everything. That's the world that we live in. But I can guarantee you one way to offend somebody is to indicate that there is an authority from outside of themselves that dictates how their life should be lived. It's easy to offend people that way. And before we point fingers, church people sometimes are most guilty. Most guilty. Uh, did Jesus really mean A, B, and C? Did he really mean that? Or, you know, he's a God of grace, so, I mean, he would understand why I did what I did. He would understand my situation. Or sometimes we go so far as to point out imperfections in the lives of others to validate our own imperfections, to lift ourselves up. So what happens is we drift. We start to drift. We create our own standard. I mean, other people do it. So why would we not create our own standard for what's right and wrong? And so what happens is we move the line to where we are instead of moving ourselves to the line. Are you following me there? We move ourselves, I'm sorry, we move the line to us instead of moving ourselves to where we need to be. Now, in the Sermon on the Mount, there's some super uber religious people, right? And they're following Jesus around because they're really having a difficulty with him. He's garnering this crowd. He's kind of stealing some of their thunder. And they're really struggling with him a little bit. 
Um, I mean, that's just who they were. And as Jesus starts down this road, I can almost tell you, they must have probably began to hear him say something about the law of Moses and the prophets. And immediately their mind went, now he's talking our game, you people over here. He's talking our game about how we're law keepers. We, we're the gatekeepers. We have the keys. And that's, okay, we were worried, Jesus, that you were going to go soft on these people. But we're super glad that now you're finally singing our tune. You're on our side. Good deal. Good deal. That's awesome. And then Jesus did what Jesus does in verse 20 and says, listen, everybody, I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, it's not going to cut it. You have no place in the kingdom of heaven. Because, and what he's doing there is he's doing this. People God uses to see his will done on earth as it is in heaven. Number two, don't keep the law to hit a standard. Okay, so we don't bend the law to meet us where we are, but we also don't keep a law to meet a standard. Okay, so the best way I can think about this is to talk to you about lists. So I love to keep lists. My wife and I go back and forth all the time whether or not I have psychological damage from some trauma in my life or something that makes me like this, but I love making a list. But more than making a list is the ability to cross things off of it. Ah. So, so at some point this afternoon, I'm going to sit with my calendar open, I'm going to look at my week, I'm going to create my list. And I'll go jogging through my list, and next thing you know, I'll... I can cross something off my list. It's like a birthday. Cross it off the list. Uh, I sleep better at night when I can cross stuff off of my list. Now, there's nothing wrong with keeping lists. There's nothing wrong with checking things off of a list. That's okay. But it can be dangerous, particularly when we talk about our spiritual life. When we talk about our spiritual life. Um, And here's the reason. Righteousness, righteousness that Jesus just talked about, is not something that you can mark off of a list. Okay, Uh, let me give you an example. Guys, uh, if you're married, if you have on your list, love my wife, you can't, do not, mark that off the list. (laughs) How do you measure that? How do you know that you're done? So, Okay, so, and here's our natural tendency. I, and again, this is me. I want a qualifier. I want to be able to cross something off my list. So one day, I'm in the bedroom, and I, I pick up my stinky, nasty socks off the floor. And Shelly comes in, in her mind, thinking, I was wondering when he was going to do that. But then she's like, I'll be encouraging. This didn't happen, by the way, just so you know. <laughs> I'll be encouraging. Hey, thank you for picking up the socks. I love you. I love you. So in my mind, I'm thinking, I heard the word socks picked up, I love you. Socks, picked up, I love you. On my list, pick up socks. That must mean I have loved because I've picked up my nasty socks. That's not how this works. You can't cross it off of a list. You can't even really put it on a list. And this is Jesus's point. It comes down to our heart. He is always, 10 times out of 10, interested in the direction of our heart and whether it's taking us to a place of life, of life. Now listen closely. I can guarantee you 10 times out of 10, God is more interested in the intent of your heart than if you can cross something off of a list. 
10 times out of 10. And in a very real way, what Jesus is doing here is he's setting a completely different standard. He narrows the focus to make sure his listeners understand this, which means his will is done on earth as it is in heaven by people who, number three, embody the heart of the law. They embody the heart of the law. The law is not kept out of obligation, and it's not negotiated or minimized to be self-serving. Okay? Instead, God's will is done through those who experience life, through the fulfillment of the law. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He came to fulfill the law. That is where real life happens. So hang with me here. Why in the world, on that sign at the side of the road, does the law say it's 45 miles an hour? Why is that there? Why is that law in place? That law is not there just to be obeyed. That law is there for a different purpose. That law is there to protect something. Life. That's why that law exists. To protect life. Now watch. Immediately after addressing both sides of the aisle here, when Jesus is talking to these people, he goes through this manifesto again of things like adultery, retaliation against enemies, making oaths. He talks about divorce. He talks about all these different topics. And we could talk about those at some other time. But he does this for a reason. Again, he's addressing the drift that has taken place. One side drifts by bending the standard to them. The other drifts by making the law the evidence of righteousness. Both groups are missing the intent of the law, which is life. Which is life. For example, then he goes down his list. We'll start with this one. Anger. Anger. You've heard it was said, do not murder Awesome. That one's on my list. Don't murder anybody. I can cross it off. I'm good. I'm good. Never done it. But Jesus does what? He goes for the heart, doesn't he? I say whoever hates their brother has already committed murder. Where? In their heart. Not murdering somebody does not make you righteous. Can we agree with that? (laughs) Just because you didn't kill somebody doesn't mean you get a silver sticker. That does not make you righteous. But what happens? Jesus is making a very sobering point here. What happens when you hate somebody? A death happens. May not be physical, but it sure is relational, isn't it? For people who say they love God and love people. There's a death that happens. And I know you've experienced it. We all have. Maybe not physical, but relationally. We were created to love God and love people. In fact, that supersedes, Jesus says, all law. It's like you can keep the other ones, but if you don't keep those two, you're missing it. You're missing it. But we all probably know what it feels like to experience death in a relationship, don't we? He goes on. Adultery. Good. Never done it. Cross it off my list. If you ever experienced infidelity in your life, there's a death, isn't there? What was is no longer. There's pain. There's hurt. There's death. Jesus again goes for the heart. He says, listen, you can cross it off your list if you want, but if you've ever lusted after another person, your heart went that way. It's about your heart. On and on he goes, re-emphasizing that if you take the heart 
out of the law, you drift to one side or the other. So what does that mean for us? I put it on the screen. God's will is done in the region, on earth, as it is in heaven, through those who are characterized by righteousness that comes from the heart. Righteousness that comes from the heart. I struggled a little bit about how to close this message out um, because as I was preparing this, I kept coming back to something I've actually spoken to you about already. I've only been here like two and a half months, so I can't go very back, far back in history to see what I've said. But um, I talked to you about uh, the woman caught in the act of adultery. It's John chapter 8. And uh, in that situation, this woman had been caught. She was guilty. She had taken the law. Thou shalt not commit adultery. And she moved the line to where she was instead of meeting the line where it was. So she's guilty. She's done it, right? So the Pharisees, they drag her through the streets. They throw her down at the feet of Jesus. They're trying to trick him into picking a side, essentially. And uh, here they stand, her accusers. These are the law keepers. They've got stones in their hand. The law of Moses says she should be stoned to death. So you've got this guilty party. She's bent the law to meet her desires. And you have the law keepers over here who are keeping the letter of the law. And they're following it through and they're angry and they're resentful and they're bitter and they're ready to carry out this justice that needs to happen. And you've got this picture. And then right smack dab in the middle of it, you have Jesus. You have Jesus. Now, a lot of people read into this story what they want to read into it. Okay? For some people, Jesus defends the woman. It's the idea that somehow in the, in the picture, Jesus has to pick a side. And it almost looks like he picks the side of the woman. But here's what's happening. Jesus doesn't pick sides. <laughs> he doesn't pick sides. He erases the drift. That's exactly what he does. He turns to the accusers and he says, yeah, she did it. Now, if any of you are free of guilt, have at it. And in a moment of incredible, I, I, would have, I mean, it would have been amazing to see, they all drop their rocks and leave. He turns to the accused. She's guilty. He says, where are your accusers? I don't accuse you either. But then he says, now go and don't bend the law to meet your desires anymore. Go. Sin no more. Don't justify it. Sin no more. What Jesus reveals in one stroke is that there are no sides. There are no sides. All have failed to keep the heart of the law. Life. Life. He addresses the drift in both camps and he calls them amazingly. And it's beautiful when you realize where he's about to go. He takes them both to the foot of the cross. Both to the foot of the cross. The place where the playing field is completely level and all are in need of the life that comes from the one who fulfilled the intent of the law. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And he fulfilled the law to show us what it looks like. As those who seek to be a part of what it looks like for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, may you and I 
be quick to acknowledge what we acknowledge every single time we receive communion together as we're going to do here in just a moment. What we're doing is we're admitting that we are a people who have great need. Our righteousness, our righteousness comes from nothing other than the one who choose, chose death to give us that life. Citizens of the kingdom of God, people who embrace the kingdom, may we be people quick to acknowledge our own need, refuse to minimize the price that was paid for us by moving the standard to our level, and instead let us embrace everything that Jesus has done for us to give us real life. Real life. I'm going to ask you, if you would, if you have it, um, the bottom side of that communion uh, cup, you can see the bread. I'm going to ask you to take that out and prepare it at this time. the night that Jesus was betrayed he served his family he washed their feet he went low then he took bread and he assigned to this bread and this wine things that had never been assigned to it before and he said you know what take this bread and I want you to eat this he said this is like my body this is my body broken for you and every time that you do this I want you to remember that I willingly allowed myself to be broken for you and so we do this in remembrance of him all of you prepare the juice In the same way he took the cup he gave it to his disciples and said drink this all of you this is the blood of the new covenant that will be shed for you and every time that you drink this remember me and so we do the same would you stand with me If it's all right with you, I'd like, to, I'd like to offer you a benediction. Maybe it's even more of a blessing. There's a really great scripture in Colossians chapter 3, verses 15 through 17. Can I just almost pray this as a blessing over you as, as we leave here today? Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, with all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Amen. Father, we thank you so much for your love. The opportunity we have again as a body of believers to come and 
be allowed to be challenged about what it really looks like to be your body. Living example of Jesus Christ in the world that we live in today. A living example of Jesus Christ to one another. So help us to love one another. Help us to love you. And be a shining example of your grace and mercy to the world around us. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thank you uh, for being here today.